Living on the Edge is a weekly news podcast with a focus on edge, cloud, and mobile, featuring thoughts and analysis from CEO of Mobile Edge X and tech industry veteran Jason Hoffman. I'm Dan Benjamin, your co-host, and this is our first episode, episode number one. Well, hey, Jason Hoffman, how are you doing today? How's everything going? I'm doing great, Dan. How are you? Doing very well. We've got a whole list of really good articles that uh, we're going to try and understand through the lens of your perspective. This is all through the lens of of Jason Hoffman and and your specific, unique perspective on all of this stuff. I see. That's that's how we're going to do it. Because this is the latest stuff. And not a lot of people are going to be able to see this, I think, the way that, uh, the way that you can. And so that's, sure. what, we, that's what we're here to do. Despite, but that, that's, that may be true. Yeah. 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 And I think it's a good, a good thing to do. Yeah. And how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. It's, um, you know, it's an interesting time. I think as people come back to life after the pandemic is kind of at a point where the world is opening up again. So it's nice to be here. I'm glad to finally be able to leave the house. Yeah, we just need to get everybody vaccinated so that there's resistance to that. Well, you know, that's they haven't made a vaccine for stupid yet. <laughs> <laughs> this is your PhD uh is speaking, your your medical background. Yeah, 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 which is yeah, literally in disease, but yes. Yeah. Okay, so this first article that I have here, uh huh, there, I, I'm gonna have to have you deconstruct a lot of this. I see, because it's informationally dense, as you say. <laughs> uh, so here's the article. This is in a publication called Silicon Angle. Okay, and the title goes like this: Google leverages key telco shift toward cloud and open RAN with latest partnership announcement. So this was just announced June uh, June 23rd between Google Cloud. Ericsson AB, Telecom Italia SPA. Uh-huh. And they're going to be delivering 5G and edge cloud solutions. Uh, and they want to control the edge, Jason. That's what they want to do here. I, uh, I think that sounds uh, great. Um, I mean, <laughs> the, uh, you know, in the, in the, at least the, say, 5G space, there's not a lot of suppliers in it. Of course, Ericsson, where I used to work, is one of them, along with Nokia, Huawei, say, CTE, mm-hmm. Samsung Network, to sort of the top the top five. Um, and uh, even as somebody who used to run cloud uh, and infrastructure at Ericsson, uh, the overall organization was always pretty resistant to just sticking their stuff on the cloud. Why? Uh, uh, there's always this idea that, um, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't need it. You know that it needs to run there in the country on premise. You're not going to put it off on, you know, some cloud provider. That somehow a cloud doesn't have the capabilities of running, you know, a mobile network. Mm-hmm. That's that's the usual argumentation for it. Um, it it's not really and. and People always try some technical argument against it, but there's no technical argument against it, as you can imagine. It's always um, fundamentally rooted in um, the actual contracts that you normally sign out of a supplier like that and the indemnification that you're doing at the end customer. 
Um, and, um, you know, meaning mobile operators have a very bad or good habit, depending on which side you're on, of offloading a tremendous amount of risk to their vendors. Um, so the fundamental issue is usually let's find some technical reason why that we can explain to people that perhaps are not technical that will allow us to essentially cover up the fact that <clears throat> we're so financially responsible for this damn network being up that, you know, we want to control as many things as possible. I mean, that's the usual thing. And so my understanding of, of RAN, radio access network, this is the piece that sits in between basically your phone and the, one, the, of, the pieces, yeah. one of the pieces and between the core network. So yeah. do I have a, a good understanding of that? What else do I need to know to understand why this is as important as it seems to be, this, this shift? Uh, I, I, you know, it's, um, I mean, radio access networks are any type of, um, wireless network anyway. So when you're um, um, driving down the street and you see, you know, sort of towers around and you got these big base station things sitting on the outside, that's that's what all the radio access networks are. So it just gives you long distance wireless coverage, you know, regardless of where you go. Um, and, um, and, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's usually used... Yeah, even though it's it's just using you know basically spectrum of light, it's it's used as something that's quote unquote different than Wi-Fi, but but it's all the same stuff now. It's just a wireless network, is all it is. It's a fancy like, name, a fancy radio. way to talk about it. Yeah, I mean it it's it it's a very just refers to a very specific you know point. I mean you have a device that connects to. A base station that's got uh, various parts that's got uh, then network connectivity and some other elements there all together that's the quote unquote radio access network you know that goes back to sort of the mobile core which then connects to what you'd normally think of as the internet and then mm -hmm. sort of federates from there um, but it is um, uh, you know a pretty pretty important piece of, of, of all of that and um, you know when you look at what you know what is not normally on the cloud if you will is exactly all the elements around ran and core this article also goes into something they're calling open ran which yeah. is sounds really interesting because with me as a as a software developer not developing this kind of software but of course i get the importance of it is that Open RAN is going to give you all these APIs uh, on the radio layer itself, right? So now that's opening the door for a whole development community to come and be involved in this. You're going to finally, I guess, have a, a consistent way for hardware and software and all of these devices to kind of come together. That seems like a big shift, right? And why did it take so long to get there? Uh, I, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a little ironic in that. You know the art. The article at least combines both an Ericsson announcement and right an announcement because uh, I couldn't think of which I don't like. I'd be surprised if, but there's uh, normally like zero chance that um, an Ericsson would join something like Oran. Um, Why? It's just not the culture. Uh, well, you know, so I mean, it's a little bit of a, so 
the whole idea of um, of the O-RAN Alliance is um, O-RAN Alliance is quote unquote transforming the radio access networks industry towards open, intelligent, virtualized, and fully interoperable RAN. And quote unquote O-RAN standards enable a more competitive and vibrant RAN supplier ecosystem with faster innovation. Um, and it's a it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a loaded situation for me to make too much commentary about in that. Deutsche Telekom's one of the, you know, original sort of founders of it. But, um, I mean, if you're sitting at somewhere like an Ericsson, the whole statement just reads like bullshit. Basically. Really? Really? Well, I mean, O-RAN standards enable a more competitive and vibrant RAN supplier ecosystem. You got to ask yourself the question, why are there only three RAN suppliers? Is that like because the RAN suppliers wanted it that way? You know, I mean, the the it is absolutely um, it is very difficult. It is very expensive. Uh, it takes a long time, uh, and you have a very demanding customer base when you're a RAN supplier. Um, and um, I mean, it's at the point where um, you know the few companies that are there um, are. You know, it's it's the suppliers that um, operators have in the space as a consequence of their own procurement behavior. You know what I mean? Um, because when you sit down and you say the alliance is transforming the radio access network industry towards open, intelligent, virt- virtualized, fully interoperated RAN, does that mean that current RAN is not fully interoperable? Does it mean it's not virtualized? Does it mean it's dumb? Does it mean it's closed? I mean... There's a couple elements in there, you know, likely can, but, um, but I don't know. Um, by all means, I mean, the, the RAN industry's, you know, probably about a $40, $50 billion, you know, sort of like annual industry in that, um, you know, depending on the year, it looks like a good business or not. Mm-hmm. Um, the deployments. I mean, a generational cycle takes a decade. I don't know. I I wouldn't personally if 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 I was uh, back to being a, a VC or I was going off and doing my own company and somebody said, "Well, you know, we're really gonna let's go, Dan. Let's you and me go do, you know, an O-RAN company. We're really gonna go innovate in that space and land some stuff." It's it's like no, no way. It just, it's, you know, good for them though. Yeah. You're happy. I mean, you're happy for them. I mean, are you, are you implying that you think that maybe this won't last or, or that it won't be successful or that it's uh, just more of like a, like a, like a PR move kind of thing? Yeah. 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 It's just a PR stuff. Yeah. We'll see if, uh, um, we'll, we'll see how much, what, what they actually end up deploying and what they end up doing. Okay. I mean, it's the good news, but it goes back to the original news. And the original news is that Google says they're going to join it. Um, and uh, um, that's fine. You know, in that uh, the telecom industry has been asking for new vendors to come into the space. Um, they are structured as such in the way they do things. It's practically impossible for a startup to do that. Um, you know, in fact, what's been occurring in the space is, you know, someone like, a, I mean, keep in mind, man, Panasonic used to do RAN 
Motorola did RAN. Like there were there were a bunch of companies that did RAN. Um, they've all been eradicated because it's all been consolidated down into three, really. Um, and uh, it's two in Europe, two in China, uh, one in Korea. Um, I mean, Samsung Networks, as far as I know, is really the only competitive emergent RAN provider in the last decade to basically show up. It would be a terrible space for venture-backed startups to go into. So your only choice is some big technology company decides to do it, right? So if Facebook decides to get in there and help, which they've been doing through uh, you know, related efforts like the Telecom Infrastructure Project, Google showing up and saying, ah, okay, um, well, you know, we want to do that. Um, and then the relationship with Google and Ericsson, you know, it, it's it's always going to come down basically to, is this really going to be a better business for somebody who's making billions of dollars a year in RAN R&D and everything else? Uh, or is it really just going to be a continued chipping away at your own unit economics? I mean, o- operators have a, I mean, things like the O-RAN Alliance is great. But you know there there is a real problem in the space of how sustainable the vendor ecosystem is, um, and so and that's why you know even as we talked before, Google, Microsoft, Amazon showing up and wanting to do something um, and wanting to actually be suppliers to mobile networks is great news uh, because they're some of the biggest investors in technology R and D period. So great, wonderful. But so a little, a little bit pessimistic from you. I'm getting a little bit. It's not. I wouldn't say pessimistic. It's just you know. It's a. It's a little. Um. um and look, I say this as like I. I didn't do the RAN side of an Ericsson. Okay, but you know when you go and you look at like an Ericsson, Nokia, Huawei, and you look at those businesses, you look at like a Samsung Networks, and you look at the internals in that business. Mm-hmm. They are non-trivial businesses to do. And they're on these R&D investment cycles that takes you like a decade to get your legs underneath you and 20 years to really get somewhat established mm-hmm. and be in that business for, for, for quite a while. When you have a customer base that's constantly telling you you're not good enough and you're shit while simultaneously mm-hmm. not always trying to pay you less. Right. Um. That's that's a hard business. This is a hard business, and and doing a alliance doesn't make it more attractive for new vendors to enter in. Um, but again, the cloud guys are rich, so by all means, go ahead, make RAN for. <laughs> it's yeah, go ahead, fantastic. There's an article uh, by Tom. I think I'm saying his last name right. Noel N O L L E is a president of. Do you say Simi C I M I Corp? Um, I think he's a Simi. Yeah, Simi. Okay, so um, the article that he wrote is called. Um, Tom always writes great stuff. Mobile World Congress MWC may have set up the battle for carrier cloud. <laughs> okay. Have you read? Did you get a chance to read this uh, this article in particular? Or should I just? I, I can quote a little bit of it to you. Just go ahead. I always, I always, I always read his stuff, but. He says, uh, everyone has an opinion on what telcos need to be doing, including me. 
at an event like MWC 2021, it's not surprising that, that, that this question has been raised. And it's similarly unsurprising that IBM CEO has used the bully pulpit of a keynote session to offer IBM's answer. IBM is one of the vendors telcos have always favored as a technology partner. IBM is now trying hard to gain traction in the telecom vertical, which means catching up with rivals in the cloud and in the software space. Which one of those two statements is correct? Those, <laughs> those sound conflicting to me. Well, he wrote it. Um, and he says, he, he writes in a later a paragraph, he says, IBM says that it believes the edge to be an extension of the data center, but it's uh -huh. not entirely clear whose data center is being extended. On the one hand, the comments seem to be aimed at operators. Quote, it's critical to understand that telecom operators and carriers have enormous potential to harness the power of 5G and the edge, not just as connectivity solution, but as a business services platform. Unquote. And then he continues in the last part I'll read. On the other hand, it's very possible that IBM's reference to hybrid cloud as a tectonic force is an <laughs> indication that it sees edge computing critically linked to, to premises hosting of real-time features that would then link with public cloud or public edge services. Okay. And he, he continues to talk about 5G RAN and operators, and it's, it's a good article. It's a long article, but um, what's your take on this? Ah, you remember, oh God, where do you even start with this? Um, <laughs> no, fun functional versus serverless versus container. One, it's very difficult to take advice on like what to do in cloud from IBM, in my opinion. And, and like you said in the, in the, um, in the beginning as well is, uh, I can't think of a, single deal and i know of where ibm was in there doing the quote-unquote cloud for a mobile operator i've literally seen them in zero deals over the years um why i think they um they themselves largely exited the telco vertical um and you know now they're quote unquote back, but I guess it's I guess the, I guess the way they they say it now is really it's see this is the funny part is is even is, even as Tom said in the article quote unquote Red Hat is leading the IBM charge for the telco vertical, so that's that's true Red Red Hat's very present you know in the sense of most operators are about you know the space is about half and half uh, Red Hat VMware um, with a little bit of uh, canonical mixed in there, you know, like the Ubuntu and their open stack and the right. things are, but <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but it's really sort of largely Red Hat. So I guess IBM's taking uh, credit for that. But, but when you look at um, a lot of the other elements, both below and above, um, it's not a lot of IBM there. It's not a lot of IBM services, uh, you know, sort of like in, 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 in the like, um, I don't know. I mean, there's a, you know, there, there ends up being a, a couple things in the space. You know, one is just like how there was a bit of cloud washing. Now there's a lot of edge washing around sort of like what that means. Um, people tend to talk about these things in a very, you know, these are the marketing elements that I care about. And, you know, this is the, the strategy of, um, of, you know, me as a vendor, but it doesn't necessarily tell you like, well, what are the first principles about this? You know, like we we say cloud, but then we say edge, 
what exactly is the differences between cloud and edge? Uh, we say hyperscale. What is exactly does that mean? We say operators are going to go and cloudify, you know, basically like what they're doing. Um, and um, you end up just not being not being clear, you know, for that. Um, and uh, that's where I tend to. I mean, I, I you know, in a lot of ways, I, I don't like doing and I don't like listening to vendor driven keynotes at conferences. And this is a good example of a write up about a vendor keynote at conferences. You know, here's a bunch of boxes I want to sell and you should adopt this and that kind of thing versus exactly what problem are we trying to solve. Uh, and I think when you look at um, the issue in the mobile networking space is that um, the hyperscale clouds, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, have successfully built highly accessible, multi-tenant industrialized infrastructure. That's how I always describe it. Highly accessible means you can just come up and use it. Uh, there's APIs, there's SDKs, there's you know command lines. You know that it's it's highly accessible. It's also multi-tenant, so many different people can use it. When you look at most infrastructure within mobile operators. Uh, they're not highly accessible. Um, they tend to be very siloed still amongst the organizational structures that they have, which I'll get to in a sec. Um, Multi-tenancy tends to not be there as a concept. And industrialized, what that means is that um, you have a, a way that as your supply chain improves and as your component costs improve, all those improvements are reflected in the internal unit economics of delivering X in your infrastructure, whether that be uh, a byte of data, uh, you know, um, space and, and memory, a CPU core. But you basically, that industrialization means that you're literally your component supply chain and how you do things gets you to the point where you have a continuously improving unit economics for what you're trying to deliver. And, and we we miss these things in the sense that people often sit around and say, well, now I'm doing cloud. Uh, and you saw this a lot when they said, well, our, our cloud is network function virtualization infrastructure, you know, what we're going to call it NFVI. They miss sort of the core elements of it, and that if it's not highly accessible and it's not multi-tenant, and it doesn't have this industrialization around the supply chain informing, continuously improving your unit economics, then you haven't done a cloud. You know, like it's this. You know, that's just you haven't done that. Highly accessible, multi-tenant, industrialized infrastructure, and then what sits on top of it is you've gone and actually solved some hard distributed system problems for developers, and you've given them a clear means of engaging with that, and a clear way for them to just buy things from you, mm -hmm. build a business on top of it, um, and. That is the transformation you have to go through if you're going to, quote, unquote, do cloud. And when you look at the typical reason why one doesn't do that is because whenever you have a given set of technologies um, that have an architecture, you end up having companies along a supply chain mirror that technical architecture. And that ends up being the big sort of issue um, in the sense of you take like the previous conversation with RAND's a good example. Mm -hmm. 
um, you have you know a part of the vendor that makes it, who then goes and deals with a part of the operator that buys it, who then goes and deals with another part that rolls it out. Well, the people that do that along there are in a totally different silo than people doing some other part of the infrastructure. There's not this idea of, um, okay, how are we actually going to have an end-to-end industrialized infrastructure approach for every element that we have? And there's an identifiable person at that operator that owns that. Mm -hmm. Um, So the issue tends to be is a lot of the technology organizations inside of mobile operators, um, they, you know, everyone stays sort of aligned. You know, the vendors stay looking like this and the operator stays looking like this and we sort of go here and there. Um, You wouldn't go, I mean, I don't know of any example of a existing operator that's got a functionally designed um, technology organization that mirrors what you'd see inside of um, a cloud provider. Right. So, so, you know, you end up, so, you know, I get a little frustrated in the sense of you can talk about all the marketing you want and all the stuff that you're selling that you want, but you know, the big issue in the mobile networking space is who exactly is there? What is the talent of that? And are they basically organized to go execute on what it is that you're talking about? And, you know, and then by the time you even get up to the CEO of a large mobile operator, is cloudification even one of their top three strategic initiatives? It, it tends not to be. They're like, what's the net new devices we're doing? How are we getting customers? How are we keeping customers? Tends to be there. You know, the whole aspect of infrastructure ends up being sort of like rolled down, uh, you know, into that. Um, but I, I think that's that's my sort of immediate comment on it is it's just everybody not talking about what what the actual issue is and the actual issue is how are you actually organized to go execute on a completely different architecture uh you know that's a that's a very valid question to ask and then when you look at edge you know the thing people are missing there is yeah edge fundamentally uses and extends technical architectures that you see in the hyperscale clouds but there are critical metadata operational ownership differences and they're all centered around uh, location, and I mean location of the back end now, not of just the device. Mobility, but I'm talking about the mobility of the applications within the network. Edge sites are inherently scarce. There's a lot of them, but they're of a finite size. So there's not this impression that you have in the old cloud definitions. Remember the old, even the old NIST definitions of cloud is that you go to use cloud, you have this perception of infinite capabilities and capacity. Right. right. You're not have that in Edge. Um, and there are real sovereignty concepts in Edge. Now, all these concepts, by the way, of mobility, location, scarcity, sovereignty, these are concepts you have in RAN. And it's generally solved by not being multi-tenant, not being highly accessible, and being rolled out in a very particular way. You know, and so you go, okay, well, shit. You know, now that you actually have to be highly accessible, multi-tenant, uh, and, uh, you know, take the sort of, like, approach to it. Yeah, how do you sort of go and do that? So uh, Edge has these mobility, location, scarcity, sovereignty concepts to it that you basically keep in your metadata store and how you're operating it, who owns what. And that's what makes it a bit 
different from uh, cloud, if you will. So I tend to say that public clouds are hyperscale, and then there's consequences to that. And edges are hyper local, and there are consequences to that. Mm. Um, and um, you know, a lot of the conversation out in the space doesn't go to those sort of. It doesn't achieve. You know, when you sit around and say this should be this should be what the goal is, and this is a set of first principles. And if you're actually not actually hitting the fundamental goals, and you're not conforming to the first principles, you're just there trying to sell another box on a slide. That's not that interesting. So, but it's good that Tom covered it. But you know, How do containers fit into all this in your perspective. Uh, I, I mean, container just, container-based applications. I mean, it's just uh, it's just packaging. At the end of the day, yeah. I mean, meaning, if you're sitting there and saying um, everything, everything in in these systems, every operating system like this is a process-based operating system. So at the end of the day, you're sitting there, and there's a um, a kernel that's that's actually running metal, uh, and uh, you're sitting there and you're looking at a process, like literally, a, like you know, I mean, you know, and you know what I mean, like a Unix process or any, but you're staring at a process. It's got a process ID. It's got a name, and it's, it is this discrete application. And the question is, um, what type of control do you want around that process? And is that process executing in a way that's native to that kernel? Right? So if you want to go and contain that process, you can put policy around how it accesses the file system. You can put a policy around what, what ports it can connect to. There are things you can do around like process control mm-hmm. that begins to secure that process. Once you've comprehensively secured a process, uh, you call that a container. Mm-hmm. So all a container is is a pretty complete abstraction around containing a process. It's even where the name comes from, right? Uh, and in the old days, when uh, you know, like when you look at where this would um, show up in FreeBSD, you say you would jail a process, right? Uh, in Solaris, you would say that you zoned a process, and then in Solaris, when you applied a policy to a zone, then you called it a container because you're containing it mm-hmm. at that point. So literally, every technical implementation of a container is to contain a process, and then literally the way it's implemented is you're staring at a a, a, a directory in a file system. And guess what you can do? You can tar and gzip directories, or you can, mm-hmm. you know, package that directory up. So all a container becomes is an executable directory where the process that fires up inside of it happens to be a full application. Um, so containers just become another way of packaging something. Um, when you look at a VM, well, the way VMs are implemented is if you look at a VM, that, and this is a very critical difference between containers and VMs, is that containers are like, really, you can think of a container more like a, a whole set of policies and packaging around like a folder on your computer. And a VM, VM, the way a VM executes, because you're actually translating from one operating system to another, a VM is executed as a process, right? And so these aren't 
mutually exclusive concepts. You know, like for example, in uh, you know an old operating system that you know worked on before, we would run a VM as a process inside of a container. You can run a container inside of a VM inside of a container. You can you can actually once you nest it. I mean, are people doing that nesting them? Yeah, yeah, it's called nested virtualization. You can run a container in a VM, um, in a container in a VM in a container. That's how far you can go. Three three containers and two VMs, all stacked up like turtles, <laughs> uh, and uh, and they're all offloaded by, you know, here and there. And so, um, it becomes one of these things where. Container versus VMs, and this whole conversation is about as sexy as a conversation between, well, should we tar it and gzip it? You know, it's just a packaging mechanism is all it is. You know, and so it really literally, the name comes from, there's just like you have a container on a container ship, and there's a ship, and you look in the container, and there's pallets, and then there's boxes on the pallet. The boxes, some are shrink-wrapped up, some are tied with this type of thing. We literally have just the same technology abstractions. So you put something in a box, you stack a bunch of boxes on a pallet, you wrap it all up, you put the pallet in a container, you put the container on a ship, and you move it somewhere. It's pretty much every analogy in an operating system as well. Mm-hmm. But it is just as interesting as a cardboard box or a pallet. <laughs> so it shouldn't be um, a big deal to use a VM or a container to do this or to do that or sort of anything else. What it tends to still always run up against is those core things I talked about. And that is the second you have highly accessible, multi-tenant, industrialized infrastructure that um, is a an architecture that everybody in a company is supposed to use, then a different organization has to do it. Multi-tenant means affects everything around security and sort of everything else. So does highly accessible. And then industrialized infrastructure means you end up having a very, like, whether you want to say vertically or horizontally integrated view from supply chain to use. Um, And it just always runs up against organizational boundaries. That's what it runs up against. Mm -hmm. That begins to get really reflected in how things are bought. Like, you know, like you look at this other article was on telecom TV, you know, that telcos further sidelined enterprise 5G markets find some media research. Mm-hmm. It's a good example, and you sit down and say, fundamentally, like, why is that? Right? Like, and, and what this means is I'm at a company like a grocery, like, a, like say, a $20 billion a year grocery store, okay? Who am I going to go to for all of my, like, private network I'm going to build out? Right the on-premise infrastructure like that. Am I going to go to a AT&T, Verizon, uh, you know, T-Systems, uh, you know, uh, Orange Business Services, Rogers, you know, Vodafone Enterprise, like, you know, all of, am I going to go to those guys? Or am I going to go to like an Accenture? Mm-hmm. Or am I going to go to like a Microsoft? And then Microsoft will sort of prime on that, right? And And the general thing is, yeah, over time, People for these types of things, they tend to not be led by that operator, ironically, right? Um, and uh, but you know, if you look at like the fundamental reason why, is if you go and you talk to most companies in the world and you say, "Who's a strategic vendor to you?" Just about every one of them says Microsoft is. Yeah, yeah, right. 
Uh, I mean, they're definitely on that list. Well, then your people then go talk to the Microsoft people and they're like, yeah, 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 we got a 5G core and this and that. We can bring that together in front on this and sort of let's go do that. But is that because of like what exactly? It's because of the relationships, whether you're a trusted supplier or not. You know, what else are you typically there to like handle? How much of this can you put together? Um, do they have an organization that can interact with your organization and what it sort of looks like? That's what it, that's what it ends up being. Um, and, um, you know, we just, you know, we just sort of forget these base concepts that um, all these companies are architectures of people where the people are then doing a set of activities and they're, you know, they have targets and they have incentives to do it. And companies interact with each other through these people and through these organizations. Right. And what's happening is all these things get mirrored within an industry across it. And then when you start having these boundaries, sometimes when people show up and if they're organized differently, they may have a hard time selling into a given industry. So they begin to reflect that too. Uh, or there happens to be a disruptive point of time where being structured differently is good. Um, and I think that's, you know, the issues in the telco space, which you don't see talked about a lot, is, um, you know, I'm, I'm willing to bet that the average employee at a mobile network operator is increasing in age. The average employee at the traditional suppliers is increasing in age. Um, people aren't necessarily graduating from Stanford Computer Science and saying, I'm going to go get a job at AT&T. Right, or I'm going to go work at Nokia. So... Um, you have an aging talent base and then you have structures around that. And then, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a much bigger problem than just what's another generation of this and how can we do that? So, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't sound too happy, does it? No, no, not really. But, I, you know, as I'm listening to you talk about these different aspects of Microsoft being Microsoft's basically everyone's partner, though. You know what I mean? If you if you are in this industry or really almost any tech industry at some point, it seems like that kind of has to happen. Yeah. And that and that's a big you know, that's a big um, something that's allowed them to grow, grow pretty, pretty well. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and something they get a continue to leverage. And, and what you see is, um, I think in, in Microsoft's case, potentially where they've actually acquired things in, you know, the mobile core and, and, and the like, um, they have a, just that tremendous opportunity around. Well, will they take it? Will Microsoft take that opportunity? Because we've seen them. They, I think they will move move into a space and have it be a little bit too late, uh, or they move into the space but they don't get it right away. Do they get this one? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, because it's still all centered around Azure, and they. I mean, you know, Microsoft's run by a. I've always been just tremendously impressed by Saudi. It's it's run really well by him, and. Um, the the worldview that's been pushed there's I'm, I'm not I'm definitely not too worried about Microsoft yeah <laughs> I'm just yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess I I think it's a well run well positioned company um you know sort of like overall 
So Jason, one of the things that seems to be like super critical is how you're organized and how you're put together and how you approach this and the opportunity there. There's another article that we have in our show notes, hybrid and interoperability are key initiatives for Samsung as it focuses on 5G at the edge. They're yeah. saying, and this article says that uh, they're they are thinking that hybrid computing is a compelling, this is a quoting from the article, compelling opportunity for human and device interface at the edge. They're yeah. saying that mobile devices are becoming multi-sensory communication gateways for professional and personal use. And the coming of this fast, but also very low latency communication solution, 5G, is yeah. going to actually open the floodgates. This is going to be an entirely new operating system at the edge. And, uh, and what this means for Samsung, according to this article, is what they call intelligent human edge. Yeah. Uh, what does all this mean? And, and how does this connect with the RAND stuff that we talked about earlier? Well, I mean, so Sam, Samsung at least, uh, so all the, um, so Nokia Ericsson as RAND vendors are distinguishable in that they don't have devices anymore. Those companies used to make phones too, right? But they right. really make it on the other side of iPhones. Um, Samsung clearly still makes phones, just like how Huawei uh, in China still makes phones. Uh, and um, And so, you know, this idea that um, devices themselves, you know, uh, you know, we have sort of the at scale device, which is the smartphone, but then there's more and more devices and modes around it. Mm -hmm. um, is clearly an area that Samsung can execute in, you know, an Apple can execute in, you know, a Huawei can execute in, um, you know, in that. And then um, Samsung does have Samsung networks, which uh, you know, it's been cranking away and, and did, you know, 4G and mm -hmm. 5G, uh, you know, in that. Um, and yeah, if you have both the device and the 5G part, there's potentially some things that you can, you can do there that would be really interesting. Um, there's things you can do from economically to what it may look like and, 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 and so on like that. Now that's slightly different from you know the other aspect of that article, which is how does the you know, how do the Samsung networks products break into operators, right. uh, you know, sort of in there. And I think and I think Samsung's the best positioned company outside of maybe like an NEC from Japan to take virtualized RAN, cloud RAN, O RAN, Open RAN, whatever you want to sort of call it. Uh, and use that to be a somewhat disruptive force. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's still elements there that they um, have to figure out that, of course, is just like anything else is rooted in organizations. You know, I mean, both Huawei and Samsung, their device businesses are separate from their network businesses, and I highly doubt that they have shared targets and incentives and objectives and what these things basically go and look like. Um, you know, very often when you have somebody uh, like uh, Casey Choi that's in that article where they're a general manager of, I think they call it global mobile B2B across that, that's usually a sales organization that's trying to span these and bring it together and you, know, you end up having to sort of do things that way. Um, but I think, um, you know, 
Samsung for a number of reasons is probably the absolute best position to take advantage of what operators are actually saying in the RAN space, you know, assuming they can get the investment needed to do that. Uh, there's at least theoretically a really good interaction between device and network uh, that can be done. Um, but, you know, somebody like a, an Apple, for example, is very successful on the device side and they don't have a network division, uh, but they do a very good job working with the existing vendors on what that what their device is doing relative to RAM and so on. So, you know, it's also one of these things where, I don't know, maybe being part of the same overall company can be a hindrance or, or not. It really, it really just depends. But, but definitely the best potential, uh, you know, in the space. So kind of looking back over these articles we talked about, and we're looking at this kind of theme of like things moving forward and changes. What do you think we should be paying attention to over the next couple months? What are kind of some of the, the key, key things we should be thinking about? Um, yeah, I think, you know, getting, getting a bit more, uh, you know, it'll be good when we get, um, just a, a little more disciplined around what, what cloud native means, what edge native means. And, 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 and we are, um, but I think, I think the thing I just sort of implore to everybody is that, you know, doing these types of transformations in an industry, you know, we, we do have to deal with the, the people issues of it mm -hmm. and the procurement aspect of it and recognize that sometimes the situation that we're looking at is the consequence of how we buy and how we operate things, not the other way around. Um, and, uh, and I, and I, I don't see, I don't see it much of a discussion about the hard things out there. I see a discussion about easy things, which is relabeling a new box. So if people would like to share their thoughts, ask us questions, submit things for us to talk about. We would love to hear from the listeners. You can, I think, I mean, Jason, they should just send us, uh, send us an email or, or go visit the website. The links will be in the show notes. And, uh, and that's all we've got for you this week. We'll be back next week with a bit more. You can, uh, you can also find me on Twitter as well. I'm at Dan Benjamin. And uh, we'd love to hear from you guys there. Jason, have a great week. Thank you.